Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Sorry, thank you. Thank you very much once again to, to endure through this. Um, yeah, welcome, welcome to my house. This is, well, it's not my house, I rent it. We are in Rome, and um, I'm renting this house, and I come from Tarsus, and I, I, I was trained in Jerusalem, and I am a Jew, and as a result of my vigorous life to, to want to glorify God, I, I persecuted this new group of false or fake Jews, but they call themselves followers of the way. And I persecuted them, I threw them in prison, I was even involved in in getting one of them killed. So as a result, I, I felt these people were blaspheming against Yahweh, blaspheming against the one true God. And as a result of that, I felt I had to go and and gather them, throw them in prison, and rid them of the world, rid them of the influence, rid them of this, this blasphemy that they are spreading all throughout the world. But on my road to Damascus, where I was trying to, to get more Christmas to, uh, Christians to get them to go to prison in Jerusalem, I met the Lord Jesus. And this Lord Jesus told me that I was persecuting not only his followers, but him personally. I was blinded by this massive light, and for three days I couldn't see. And after praying, and after my interaction with the risen Lord Jesus, I realized that he is the Messiah. He is the person that the scriptures was talking about all throughout the Old Testament, And that finally, I realized that true life and meaning and purpose and salvation was to be found in this person, Jesus, whom the Romans, sorry, excuse me, whom the Romans, who Cornelius is part of, uh, killed on a cross under Pontius Pilate. So I was arrested by the Jews, and I was brought in front of their leaders, in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the, the government of the, the Jews, in front of Parliament. I, I shared my testimony, I shared my, my story, but because of quite a lot of corruption and because we found out about a plot that they wanted to kill me, through some help with the Romans, I, I was managed to escape to Caesarea. And ultimately, there I also had some corrupt dealings uh, and my trials were never fair. And as a Roman citizen, that's one thing that Cornelius and myself have in common, and, and I mean, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I'm not Roman, as you can see, I'm Jewish, so my Roman citizenship was garnered as a result of my family helping the Roman Empire during the wars with the Persians, and my, my parents made, or my father, made tents for them, and as a result of that, I was born into citizenship, even though I'm a Jew. So what both Cornelius and myself have in common is we can in any situation, when there's injustice towards a Roman citizen, I can appeal to Caesar. 
And because of all the corruption in my trials, I did that. I called on my privilege and I appealed to Caesar and, and I was taken to Rome. I'm brought to Rome. I'm now here. I'm still officially a prisoner of Rome. And because I appealed to Caesar and I'm going to stand in front of him and he will either, <clears throat> he'll either uh, send me to my execution if I'm guilty or he'll set me free. As a result of that, his own private imperial guard is chained to me. And every day, for about six, for every 12 hours, every day, a new member of the Praetorian or Imperial Guard is chained to me. Now, you can imagine this is making life a little bit <clears throat> uncomfortable for me, you can say. Because, <clears throat> unfortunately, Cornelius and myself, we have to sleep in the same bed. <clears throat> I can't have private conversations. <clears throat> We have to bath together at the, the communal baths. We have to go poo together. There's nothing that we do apart from each other because as Cornelius will tell you, if I escape, his life is forfeit. Any of the imperial God that, is, that allows me to either kill myself, not that I want to do that, but some political prisoners do do that, or escape, he will be held responsible for that. Now, many of you might think, and this is something that maybe Cornelius hasn't thought about, but I don't feel ashamed to share this in front of him, but many of us think that I am chained to Cornelius. But to a large extent, Cornelius is chained to me, and to the gospel. I have a lot of people who have come to me and said, isn't it inconvenient? You can't eat by yourself. You can't go to the bathroom by yourself. You can't, you can't travel. You can't work. You can't earn a salary. I have to, to get money from supporters, and especially the church in Philippi, who, whom I'm writing to, they have given me a large sum of money in order that I I can't have a job, I can pay for my rent. I can pay for medicine. I can pay for food. And I have the ability to have a whole bunch of visitors like you come to my rented villa and hear me preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus, of how I went from a persecutor of the Christians to becoming one of the followers of Jesus myself. So, Cornelius, unfortunately, cannot go anywhere. I cannot go anywhere. But through, even though you might think it's a hardship for me, it's an inconvenience. I've, it's already been two years and I haven't really had the opportunity to hear whether I'm going to have my audience with Nero. It might take another two years. But this I know that I have had the opportunity to not only share with every single Praetorian God that has been chained to me for the last two years. Now, I'm not a mathematician, I'm a theologian. But if I say two Praetorian gods per day, that's 14 Praetorian gods per week, 56 per month, 600 a year, 
So I have had the distinct privilege in my hardship, in my chains, I have had the privilege to not only share but show the gospel with each and every one of those 1,200 Praetorian guards. And they go on to share not only with the Praetorian guards in their barracks, they go on to share with the, the people who live in the emperor's palace. The family of emperor, the emperor, the, the, the political guests of the emperor, the emperor's uh, personal guard, they, they stand in their palace. They have conversations about me because apparently they find me a curious case. I'm not seditious. I'm not an arsonist. I'm not trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. But the fact that I am on trial and have requested an audience with the emperor of the Roman, the most powerful empire the world has ever seen, because of a person called Christos. All of them have heard the gospel. Now, we have sat together, <clears throat> sorry Cornelius, we have sat together in planning meetings, in strategy meetings, and we've tried to, to figure out how can we share the gospel with the most influential and most powerful people in Rome? We have not come up with any opportunities. None of us have been able to break through to, to share the gospel with the most influential, most powerful, most feared force in Rome, the Praetorian God. None of us have been able to get into the, the palace and share the gospel with the emperor, his family, and his most faithful and loyal supporters. And what we would have never thought would happen is that through me being arrested, indirectly, God has opened a door in his sovereignty, in his control over all situations, the whole Praetorian God and the palace, the household of Caesar, has heard the gospel proclaimed. And for that reason, because my chief mission in life is to see the gospel advance, for that reason, I rejoice, even though I am still in chains. Okay, okay, we're done now. Okay, now for real, I'm not uh, really Paul. If you guys were thinking, <clears throat> thank you, thank you. <laughs> if, if you guys are new, I'm, I apologize, I didn't give a heads up or a warning. If, if you're a new person, I'm not really Paul, and that is not Cornelius, that's Connor, and this is uh, Christu, and um, I'm from here, not from Rome. And <clears throat> that was just a small little glimpse into what the situation was and, and what, what the context was in which this passage that Sechemetsi read for us was all about. The passage we are dealing with today, the main idea is how do I find joy in my hardships? All of us will at some stage in our life experience hardships. We are living in a broken world. We are living in a, a world governed and affected by Satan's sin and death. There is no way that you can 
live this life without being affected. And if you have never been affected by any suffering, hardships, or difficulty in your whole life, best believe that if you are a faithful follower of Jesus, you will face hardships. And I'm not making that up. That's Jesus in John 16 verse 33. He says, if you follow me, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, take heart, I have overcome the world. So even though we live in this world where where it's tainted by Satan, sin, and death, and all of us will face hardship and difficulties and struggles, we know that at the end of the day, Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome Satan's sin and death, and we in and through faith in him, have become overcomers as well. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at three quick points from this passage on how to find joy in our hardships. Father, we come to you because you are sovereign and almighty, and you are the only one that can give us true joy in this life. Father, we pray that that you will be magnified and glorified and honored in everything we do. I pray that you would use this time that we have on a Sunday to weekly encourage us, to put courage into us so that we can live on mission for you, so that we can be used to glorify you and grow your kingdom. Thank you that we can partner with you, it's such an amazing privilege to partner with the king of the universe that you would even say, take my hand and walk with me and partner with me in redeeming the world, to making it better again, to be salt and light, to bring it back to the way it used to be before the fall. May you use us with the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit and with each other to do that. And as we see the gospel advancing, as we see the kingdom growing, even in the midst of hardships, may we find joy because our main mission is advancing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So there's three points that you'll see on the screen and it's basically... In order for us to find true joy in our hardships, we need to have an 8 to 8 mentality. We need to realize that our lives are not our own, and we need to strive to be worthy, strive to live a worthy life of the gospel together as a community. The first point and the, the way to find joy in life hardships means we must have an eight to eight mentality. Let me quickly read 12 to 14 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, the imprisonment, the hardships, really has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial or praetorian guard and to all the rest of the people in Rome that my imprisonment is for Christ. And you would think that the normal outworking of one of the most influential people in the the way or the Christian movement 
if he's imprisoned, everyone will fade away and everyone will be scared. Yet, my imprisonment has led to most of the brothers, most of them, not just some of them, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they have become much more bold to speak the gospel without fear. That is what I wish for us as a community, to be able to, even in the midst of hardships, to rejoice, to see the gospel advance, but also to not live with fear. Paul will go and double-click a bit in chapter 4 about, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, prayer and petition, present your request to me, and the peace of God will guard, guard your heart, you know, so He'll double click on that, but like how do we, without anxiety and fear, advance the gospel? In your class, in your university, at your gym, in your complex, at your company, wherever God has placed you, how are you without anxiety and fear? Imagine you can do that. Without anxiety and fear, proclaim the gospel. Well, it means we must have that eight to eight mentality. And some of you guys are like, oh, what on earth is an eight to eight mentality? Well, I just came up with it this week. So it's, it's not a thing, I just made it up. It's basically, it's basically living your life like Paul is, living your life with Romans 8.28 as a, a spectacle or view through which you view every circumstance in your life. So Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, all things, when you're in prison, when you lose your job, when your father passes away, when you're being persecuted for being weird or wacky or Christian or, or being outdated, you don't believe the the, the latest craze, the, the homosexuality, the transgender debate, the critical race theory, the, you, you don't believe those things, yet you stand firmly on the gospel. All situations, no matter what difficulty you are facing, in all things, God works them out for the good of those who love him. Now, how will that change our lives when we view every circumstance in that way. In every circumstance, you're like, okay, cool. The pandemic just hit, or it's coming to an end. Our budgets are not looking good. They haven't been able to raise enough funds for the company, uh, or donors, or investors. As a result of that, they're gonna have to lay, lay off some people. That circumstance. Okay, how can God work this for my good and for his glory? You just find out that you were diagnosed with cancer. How in this circumstance do I view this as for the glory of God and for my good? You just found out that your funding has been taken away can't study anymore. In this circumstance, how does God get the glory? How is this for my good? 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That is the mentality that Paul had in his imprisonment. That is why he's saying, I rejoice. Because I know this is a win-win situation either way. Even if everything goes pear-shaped, God will be glorified. And I will receive good. Another reason why Paul is rejoicing, we see in verse 12. He says, my imprisonment has led to the advancement of the gospel. Now, how on earth is Paul rejoicing when he's imprisoned? He doesn't know when his prison term is going to end. He doesn't know when he's going to get freed again. He doesn't know when he's going to be released from this person who's constantly with him. He finds joy in the fact that he knows what his life's purpose is. Paul's life's purpose, after becoming a follower of Jesus, after he submitted to the Lordship of Christ, Jesus was not only his Savior, but his Lord. When someone is your Lord, you no longer bow down the knee to yourself and do whatever you want, whenever you want. You bow down to your Lord. So now, as he is under the Lordship of Christ, his mission in life changes. His mission in life is no longer to grow his property portfolio, to travel the world as much as he can, to become as rich as he can, to go on many dates as you can, His total view on life has changed. So let's say, for instance, your purpose in life is to become rich. And you become very sick, but you're a scientist and you work with medicine. And as a result of your sickness, you do some experiments on yourself and you manage to find a cure for your disease. And as a result of that, it turns out that that same cure is also the cure for cancer. And you become filthy rich. You are a billionaire over and over and over. How do you think you will view your hardship, your suffering? Because you had an actual illness or disease. You actually suffered. But your main purpose in life was to become filthy rich. And as a result of this thing that it happened to you, your illness, it led to you becoming filthy rich. So all of a sudden, in a new perspective, you view your sufferings as, actually, that was, that was necessary. And in the same way, Paul's ultimate purpose in life is to advance the gospel. So now, even in the midst of him... Being in chains, he can see the gospel advancing. They've just reached the most influential group of soldiers in the Roman Empire. Basically the FBI agents or the ninjas of the Roman Empire. They cannot be penetrated. They cannot share the gospel with anyone. You, it's like when you go to Buckingham Palace and there's those people who stand like that with the red things and the, the black hat. You're not allowed to talk to them. And they're not allowed to talk to you. Like, you have no way of impacting a praetorian guard. Yet, because of this, 
being imprisoned for Jesus, they not only got into the Praetorian Guard, but they also got into the palace of the emperor. The gospel has spread. So if your main purpose and mission in life, which Paul is saying, us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to advance the gospel. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So if your main aim as a believer, of a follower, as a follower of Jesus today, is to advance the gospel, to see people be saved, to see people grow in their understanding and knowledge of Jesus, to say and share the gospel wherever you live, work, and play. If that's your main aim, whenever hardship comes, when you see progress in that main purpose, you can endure it. You can endure it. And not only endure it, but rejoice in it. Because you're like, Listen, at the end of the day, the gospel is going forward. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But the main thing is that the gospel is advancing. The one thing that we will not be asked when we get to heaven and Jesus asks you, how big was your property portfolio? He will not ask you that. I promise you. What car did you drive? How many different country stamps do you have in your passport? He will not ask that. Yet, I myself must confess, many times that becomes my main purpose. But what he will ask is, how did you advance my kingdom? You were under my lordship. You were my ambassador. You were my follower and you are my partner in ministry. What did you do to advance the kingdom? If you say, I went to Australia, I went to America, went to Argentina, I drive a Ford Ranger, I have a double story house, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. If we are not living our lives to advance the kingdom of God, we are wasting our lives. Second point is finding Joy in life's hardship means that we don't view our lives as our own. Verse 19 to 26 says, yes, I will rejoice. Paul mentions this idea of rejoicing in his hardships three times in this passage alone, many more times in the rest of the letter. I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this punishment or imprisonment or inconvenience or hardship will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And here comes that weird statement that I've read so many times. I was like, what is he saying? 
For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm like, what does that even mean? Luckily, he explains it to us. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So he's basically saying, if the emperor decides not to kill me, I will be released, and therefore, I will be alive, and I'll be able to strengthen the church. Continue to write letters, visit, train, uh, preach. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You can see he's wrestling in his mind like, uh, stay in this world being beaten, tortured, persecuted, ridiculed, hardships, suffering, uncertainty. That option or to be executed and be with Christ for all eternity. And he's saying, I cannot tell. I'm kind of in between between the two right now. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I don't know which one to choose. It's not like I'm choosing, but I don't know which one I would prefer the most. My desire is clearly to depart and be with Jesus, to be with Christ, which is far better. I would prefer to be in heaven with Jesus. But I know to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The Philippian church needs leadership. It needs guidance. It needs teaching. It needs training. It needs discipleship. And Paul realizes, yes, I can be selfish and accept my execution and go be with Jesus. But I know that you as a church need me. So I'm torn between the two. But convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. We see there there's, a, there's a, a hint that he thinks he'll be released. For your, progress, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus, glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. It might sound a little bit sadistic or a little bit weird or a little bit negative where he's like, you know, I actually don't mind to be killed and go be with Jesus. But for your sake, I'll stay. Like, okay, I'll stay. You know, meanwhile, most people will be like, please don't, don't give me the execution penalty. Don't give me the death penalty. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Why do you think most people would say that? Why would most people not want to die? Not want to be executed? Not want to be killed on death row on an electric chair why because it kind of links with our previous point most of us build our kingdoms in this world most of us care more about the house we live in the area we live in the, the amount of money in our investment accounts, our property portfolios, our cars, our holiday homes, our visits abroad, like that is what is success in this life, is it not? So if someone says, SARS is gonna take everything away and because of your crimina criminality and taking all the money that you weren't supposed to take in some way, shape or form, you're gonna get the death penalty. That would freak most people out, and they will try tooth and nail to get out of it, to survive, to live in this world a little bit longer. 
Why? Because our kingdoms are here. Our families are here. Our relationships are here. Our properties are here. Our, everything we value is here. But I plead with all of us and myself, what do we value most? Is it the advancement of the gospel? Is it the glory of God? Is it the advancement of his kingdom? Or is it my own kingdom growing, expanding? Paul clearly says, I am content. We'll see this in chapter 4, 413, that verse that gets horribly misquoted so many times. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He's saying, I can do all things in Christ that strengthens me because I've learned the secret of contentment. I don't care. All I care about is the kingdom advancing. I don't care about what I have in this life. I long to be with Jesus for all eternity in a new creation where there will be no tears, no suffering, no hurt, no death. That is what I long for. So ultimately, some might view it as a predicament, but Paul views it as a win-win situation. Whether I am executed and I go and be with Jesus for all eternity, that's a win. And whether I get released and I get to strengthen the church and plant more churches and, and share the gospel with more people and more people get saved, that's another win. It's a win-win. There's no lose here. Point three, last point. A way to find joy in our hardships is to strive to live a worthy life together as a community. And as I was studying this passage this week, a lot of the principles and the applications, I found myself automatically applying it to myself personally. I'm like, okay, you need to strive together, side by side. Oh, no, I actually started with, okay, stand firm in one spirit, verse 27. Okay, let me just read it so you know what I'm referring to. 27, only let your manner of life as a citizen, so the original, see your English versions will take that out, some of the versions, but the original version will say, only let your manner of life as a citizen, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, because I was killed, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything but by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When I read that, stand firm in one spirit, I automatically applied it to myself. Like, okay, okay, God, like, how am I supposed to stand firm in one spirit? Okay, it could mean that I'm supposed to stand firm by the power of the Holy Spirit, or 
When I read further, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. With one mind striving side by side together. And then I also remembered, oh, wait a minute. This letter is not the letter to a person in the church in Philippi. This is a letter written to the church in Philippi. So as a result of that, we need to take some of these imperatives as we as a community need to strive together for the advancement of the gospel. We as a community together need to stand firm in a spirit of unity. We'll see in chapter 4 where Paul addresses some conflict between two members, Judea uh, and Syntyche. In the church, there's conflict. There's disunity. So he's saying, in order for, for us to advance the gospel, we need to be unified with one spirit, striving for the advancement of the gospel. And when we come together, we are able to, to grow courage from one another so that we are not anxious and not fearful, not frightened, but we can stand firm against this opposition and suffering that will surely come as it has with Christ, the one we are following. We see in the previous passage as well, the question is, how do we strive together? How do we live this worthy life together? We do it by praying for one another. Let me read verse 19. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers as a church for me in my imprisonment, and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. Now, that word, some scholars, that word de deliverance or salvation, some scholars argue that it could just refer to the fact that because of your prayers and the, the, the Spirit in me, I'm sure that I'll be released from my imprisonment. But most, most scholars argue that that word refers to eternal salvation. So that Paul is saying, in our suffering and affliction and, and, and oppression and hardships and difficulties, as we pray for one another, as we communally depend on the Spirit of Christ, that will lead us to persevere to the end in the midst of hardships. And we will ultimately, if we persevere to the end, receive the crown of salvation and be with Jesus for all eternity. So, in our hardships, we are called to stand together, to lean on one another, to pray. It just shows you that the prayers of the saints, how important it is. So as we go to our DNA groups, share with one another deeply. Share with one another openly. Because as we pray for one another, it does something supernatural within our lives. It helps us to persevere to the end. It helps us to remind ourselves that our kingdoms are not in this world, but in the world to come. Paul is talking that, verse 27, let your manner of life as a citizen be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word citizen is playing he's playing on the idea that before you came to Christ as Philippians the Philippian church Philippi was a city was a Roman colony with all the privileges of Rome if you lived as a citizen 
of Philippi, uh, you had all the privileges as if you were in Rome. And Paul is saying, in the same way that you used to live as a citizen of Rome, under the lordship of Caesar, where Caesar dictates to you what you do, how you live, what you think, who you worship, from now on, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. And now, you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ dictates how you live your life. No longer the emperor. So if the emperor says, jump, you don't. If the emperor says, bow down to me, burn incense because I am God, you say no. And if that leads you to the Colosseum and you die as a result of your faith in Jesus, so be it. Because, Paul is saying, it is better for me to be with Christ. That's why so many Christians freely went to the Colosseum. That's why so many freely got mauled to death by lions. Because they said, this is a win-win situation. If I live in this world, I get to share the gospel. I get to show and share the gospel. The kingdom advances. My ultimate mission and aim advances. Because I want to glorify Christ and advance his kingdom. But if I get killed by a lion in the Colosseum, I get to be with Jesus. It's a win-win. You know, one of the emperors... When, when in the third century, when it was a bishop of the church, was brought in front of the emperor, and the emperor said, if you do not recant, we'll feed you to the lions. And then the bishop said, well, I have served Jesus almost 80 years, and he has been nothing but good to me. And when I die, I will be with him for all eternity in heaven. What can you offer me? Even if you kill me, all I have is death and then heaven for all eternity. Go ahead, send me to the lions. Father, we pray that our faith will be so strong that we can see with a new perspective our circumstances in this life. That even though it's extremely hard, that through a new lens that we will see that you are sovereign over all things and that you are the one working out all things for our good and for your glory. This is not always an easy teaching, Lord. We acknowledge that. We confess that our main aim in this life sometimes is just to build our own kingdoms. Forgive us for that, Lord. And help us to, together with Paul, to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amen.